Hi y'all, it's Wesley from Progress Texas with a quick thanks for supporting us by listening to our podcast. While you're here, we've covered a lot of wild stuff lately, ranging from the curious absence of a Democratic candidate for governor, the cruel new abortion ban in Texas, the decades-long GOP power grab, otherwise known as redistricting, and a whole lot more. You can check it all out in our back catalog wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and please enjoy our show. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. You are perfect, Diana. And hey, everyone, it's Satvik Alawale, your host, and welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm joined by Advocacy Director Diana Gomez, Development Associate, maybe Manager, Brett Isaacs, and Communications Director Wesley Story. This week, we're covering three big stories. Hopefully, the end of all legislative sessions for 2021, knock on wood. Uh, our ballot guide and you know we're, how we're in early voting, and then what's going on at the federal level trying to protect our voting rights, uh, from most from Republicans, basically. Um, before we start, this is a happy hour, so what's everyone drinking today? You know, I celebrated the end of special session already, so I'm nursing myself with some water. Uh, Brett, what are you drinking? And also, welcome back. It's, been, it's nice to have you back on the show, the podcast, yeah, the TV show, I don't know. So nice to be back. Um, <laughs> I'm thrilled. I am unfortunately just going with a LaCroix today, but um, it is uh, grapefruit. I will not call it by its more pretentious name. What's the more pretentious uh, name? No, it's um, it's actually called Pomplemousse, which is the French oh. way to say grapefruit. But it's just because like Lacroix isn't pretentious enough, so they had to make <laughs> a little bit extra, whatever. What about you, Diana? Um, I am drinking my classic, what I drink every week. Truly, this on this day, it's pineapple. Truly, if you're out there, I appreciate the consistency, Diana. <laughs> yeah. It's we need to make that got- sponsorship. Maybe I got like a 60 pack or something. It's like I invested. <laughs> I'm real thirsty for that sponsorship any day now. Maybe Truly can send us each a 60 pack next time for free advertising, wink, wink, on our happy hour podcast slash Facebook Live. And Wesley, what are you drinking? You always have something nice in a cup. Well, I'm drinking Moscow Mule this week, but mm-hmm. I got to be honest, it's mostly just ginger beer and then like a little bit of vodka. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we clearly have something really to be happy about. And uh, Diana, I'd love for you to fill us in on what does it mean that legislative session, knock on wood, is over? Oh gosh, it means I can sleep a little bit better, uh, toasting with everyone to the end of legislative session, not to jinx it for the love of God. I do not want another session back. I don't think anybody does. Um, It's cost already millions of dollars (laughs) for us to, to be in the session. Uh, you know, this year and, you know, unfortunately we, there are a lot of things that should have passed that didn't, you know, we still have a, uh, a broken electrical grid, uh, but, you know, just in case anything happens, uh, I, um, have prepared us all with a blog on our website on what to do in case the power goes out. Uh, it's more geared towards the summer, but it's still pretty warm in most parts of Texas. So, you know, if you need it, if, uh, you need that, you know, we have that on our on our website. Yeah, and so we still have a, a broken electrical grid. Uh, Medicaid didn't pass. Uh, we have the most extreme abortion ban um, in the nation, and I won't uh, get us further down into a bummer hole, but, um, you know, it's, it's the, the good news is, is that that terror has, has ended for now. Um, I, gosh, I'm glad it's like every other year, and this one, they really took advantage of this whole year. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, you know, one great thing that came out of this was that a lot of Texans were really able to see these terrible effects of Abbott and other extremist legislators catering to that small far right base. And so I think people are really fed up and enough is enough. And so that's really going to gear us into this next election season because, you know, one bad thing that happened was that, you know, a lot of maps were gerrymandered districts in, in Texas, but you cannot gerrymander statewide elections. So folks are going to turn up. They're going to say enough is enough, show up at the ballot box. And I'm looking forward to the revenge of angry Texans. You know, I think it's funny because every time we say like last legislative session of the year, we have to say a caveat. We're like, hopefully, like we'll see, because I think all of us are so scarred at this point, um, so traumatized by the last 10 months that we're like still worried that maybe another one will be called. I will say, though, on Twitter, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick already suggested that Governor Abbott call another session. And apparently one of Abbott's spokespeople came back and said that they see no reason for another session at this time so fingers crossed as of right now it seems like we're in the clear hopefully you know my conspiracy is that dan patrick you know his family must not love him very much and so he's taking it out on us by pulling us away from our families to waste time at the lead session um i wonder what like went wrong in his childhood but something definitely did yeah he wants to uh, share that trauma yeah too much drama Another thing, too, one another good news to come out of this ledge session is that alcohol to go passed. That's very true. Also, in this last legislative session, yeah, it was crappy. A lot of bad stuff passed, but there were some really bad bills that died. So, for example, the sham review bill, which is one of the reasons that Dan Patrick is trying to call another session, that bill died. Um, so we're glad to see that that's not going to be a thing, hopefully moving forward. Um, but we also just found out that Governor Abbott appointed a secretary of state that was a lawyer who tried to oppose the um, oppose the results of the most recent election. And so that's going to be something that we'll have to deal with election wise moving forward. And notably, he waited until all the sessions are over so that that secretary of state doesn't have to be affirmed, because if there was a ledge session happening when he appointed a new secretary of state, the Senate would have had to affirm his appointee. And so that's what's making me think even more so that we're not going to see a new session because he doesn't want for his appointee to not be confirmed if he were to call a new session. So I got to ask, um, I, I don't work as closely with the lead session as either of you, Wesley or Diana. Um, but from my outsider, quote unquote, perspective, it seemed like co like progressive coalitions were stronger than ever. I mean, I've only been, this is my first I guess it's my fifth lead session or whatever, but like, is that something that y'all saw on the ground as well? That's definitely something that I saw compared to previous um, sessions. And I mean, obviously we had four and I think we just got stronger and stronger throughout, but the voting rights coalitions, the voting rights organizations all really came together to fight the voter suppression bills. We saw all the abortion organizations and then our allies coming together to fight SB8. And so it really was obviously a lot of terrible bills passed and a lot of that we don't have control over at the end of the day because we don't have the majority in the Texas House or in the Texas Senate. But we also saw the strength of these coalitions. And so I think that moving forward, we're just stronger for the next for the fight ahead and for the next legislative session. Um, and we also just put lawmakers on their heels. They know to expect um, pushback because we still saw a lot of success, too. At the end of the day, like the 
terrible voting bill, the voter suppression bill, didn't pass in the first session, didn't pass in the second session. We kept pushing it to new sessions. And if we actually only went with the first session like we're supposed to, we only did January through the end of May, then that bill would have never passed. But we have a governor who was willing to call additional special sessions to get his terrible legislation through. And you know, Wesley, you mentioned the fight ahead. The next fight is actually happening right now. Uh, there's a statewide election um, and a lot of local elections as well. So definitely take a look at that. Um, we have Brett, who's kind of like our Obama anger impersonator, but she's not angry. She's just super sassy. And we wanted to kind of go through the uh, the prop the statewide ballot propositions or sorry constitutional amendments and kind of get her take on them and then tell you how we think you should vote your progressive values uh, Wesley Diana which one of you wants to start us off I can start us off and I'll just start by saying that these propositions can be really confusing. Um, one thing that we say here at Progress Texas is sometimes we think that the people who wrote them don't even necessarily know what's on them. And so I'm going to read the language that's going to be on your ballot whenever you go out and vote. And you're going to notice that this language is super confusing, doesn't really make much sense. That's why we're providing these recommendations. Um, and that's why Brett will be translating them. So I'll start with Proposition 1. Um, and here's the language quoted. The constitutional amendment authorizing the professional sports team charitable foundations of organizations sanctioned by Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association or the Women's Professional Rodeo Association to conduct charitable raffles at rodeo venues. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, thank you for asking my professional opinion. Um, first of all, you are absolutely correct. That is super confusing. Uh, so my initial reaction, and just so everyone knows, these are my completely unfiltered reactions to all of these constitutional amendments. Um, I hate horses. I'm terrified of them. Um, I don't particularly care about sports in general, if I'm honest. And I particularly do not care about sports that involve animals. So I have no idea what this really even means. And I'm not really sure if I was reading it for the first time at the ballot box, how I would vote. So Wesley, can you please give me your recommendation? Because I'm very confused. I shall. And so we basically what this proposition does is it authorizes raffles at rodeos, which are currently prohibited by Texas's anti-gambling law. And we recommended a yes on this preposition. And for no other reason than why not, like, what's a good reason against this, right? There's not really one. So why not vote yes? <laughs> All right. Um, okay, I'll move on to proposition two now. The constitutional amendment authorizing a county to finance the development or redevelopment of transportation or infrastructure in unproductive, underdeveloped, or blighted areas in the county. That's interesting because, I mean, honestly, I am, don't want to shock anyone, I'm a progressive. So I'm all <laughs> for, like, government having the ability to do what we, you know, appoint these people to do, which is take care of our communities, take care of our infrastructure and the areas that we live in. So my initial thought is that this is something it sounds like I would vote for just so that we can have greater, you know, government access to help us take care of the counties that we live in. And you are correct. So we actually recommended a yes on proposition two. The reason is counties, so this allows counties to issue bonds to improve blighted areas. I don't know if 
necessarily everyone got that from the language, but that's what it does. And cities and towns can already technically do this. So we're just saying, why not give counties the same authority to do what cities and towns can already do? All right, moving on to Prop 3. This is the constitutional amendment to prohibit the state or political division of this state from prohibiting or limiting religious services of religious organizations. Um, okay. Hearing that, I mean, I am all for religious freedom. I think religious freedom is incredibly important. But with everything that just happened in COVID, we saw a lot of the worst offenders in terms of breaking social distancing and masking requirements in religious communities who were ignoring our, you know, attempts to try and get people to stay safe. So while I don't think the state should really dig its hands too much into religious communities, I also don't think the state should be barred from prohibiting religious gatherings. I don't think that falls under freedom of religion, especially in an age of technology. Yeah, so our recommendation for this proposition is also no, because as you just said, Brett, it would prohibit restrictions on religious gatherings, even during a deadly pandemic like what we're going through right now or any other emergency. So this is actually a really dangerous proposal because it's a blanket exemption from rules that are intended to protect people. Um, freedom of religion is not a guarantee under every single circumstance. We know that there have to be exceptions and extreme circumstances. And so this um, this rule, this law, this proposition would not be good for our state because it would allow for exemptions where really we need to focus on protecting human life instead. All right, and then last one from me, this is proposition four, state prop number four, the constitutional amendment changing the eligibility requirements for a justice of the Supreme Court, a judge of the Court of Criminal Appeals, a justice of the Court of Appeals, and a district judge. So this one I actually did hear a little bit about, and I would not vote for this one because from what I hear, and please tell me if this is incorrect, but from what I hear, this is a attempt to change the constitution in direct response to the number of progressive judges being elected. And particularly, I think it was in 2018 or 2019, the 19 black female judges elected around Harris County. So I do not think that the state should change the constitution to try and create unreasonable barriers honestly, for anything, including voting, but that's a whole other conversation. I would vote no on this one. Yeah, so our recommendation on this um, proposition is also no. Interestingly enough, Progress Texas, we went back and forth on this um, proposal too, because it's confusing. At first glance, you think, oh, like more qualified judges, judges with more experience, that makes sense. But when you read the fine print and you look at the context of the situation, you see that this would actually make it harder for younger and more diverse candidates to become judges by strengthening the requirements. And we know that there have been a lot of more progressive judges recently, especially in urban counties that have been winning their elections. And so this is a Republican reaction to us getting more Democratic, more progressive judges in office. And this thing, you know, I just want to point out, this is so like uh, insidious because it's like, more experienced, like who would say like, no, I want a less experienced person. But that's really a code for like, if you're not already part of the institution, you don't belong here. Because, you know, if you think about it, a lot of groups in America, they only were able to like do certain things within the last, you know, couple of decades. So there's no way to have the same experience as other groups. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, 
you see this so often with these ballot propositions. Like, there's one in Austin right now, actually, which makes it for Prop A, which is like, oh, this is great. But really, it's like not good for Austin. Uh, I know this is like we're talking about statewide stuff, but, um, you know, you have to read these things really carefully and think through the impact. And I think that's one of the reasons why we kind of went back and forth on whether we were going to endorse it for yes or no. And even the ballot language, like just looking at the language right now, which I hadn't even looked over until today, like doing this video, it just says change the eligibility requirements, but it doesn't actually say to what. Like it, it doesn't say that it's making it harder. So you really do have to do prior research. Otherwise, you're going in without any kind of context for these for these amendments. Yeah. And if you know, it, it can be really tricky to find basic information on when elections are happening, when to vote, um, especially on like what's truly behind what this language means, which is why here at Progress Texas, we have this amazing ballot guide that we're going through with y'all right now, but it's on our website for y'all to follow. We did the research for y'all. Um, and if y'all don't want to read it, Y'all can just listen to us and recommend this episode to other friends to listen to as you're driving to the polls. Yeah, this weekend. Yeah, and uh, since I've taken the mic, um, <laughs> I will, I'll continue with the, with the next four. And I think this one will sound uh, a bit familiar because it's uh, pretty much connected to the last constitutional amendment proposal that uh, Wesley read out loud. So Proposition 5 is the constitutional amendment providing additional powers to the state commission on judicial conduct with respect to candidates for judicial office. I will be fully honest with you. I have no reaction to that because I do not understand what any of that means. <laughs> uh, so doing exactly what all of this is here for, please help. Yes, definitely. So this is honestly connected to uh, Proposition 4. Um, you know, like it says in the language, it gives the State Commission on Judicial Conduct authority, again, over judicial candidates. So already, you know, more power, more authority. And these are now two that are trying to do that over judicial candidates. Um, so like we said, in theory, it sounds like it might be good. Um, however, in practice, it would give those in power more control over judicial elections, uh, which they have already attempted to game. And we already saw that attempt to game that in the literal last uh, proposition. So our recommendation from Progress Texas is again to vote no on that. Awesome. Uh, so I'll move over to uh, state proposition Six and the language for that says the constitutional amendment establishing a right for residents of certain facilities to designate an essential caregiver for in-person visitation. Um, yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds great. Uh, I think that having an essential caregiver, especially tied to folks who you know cannot take care of themselves, is definitely a wonderful thing, um, especially in the past year when we saw so many people being isolated because of COVID concerns. And it's so depressing not to get all sad, but now people, many people are isolated because there are so many folks who just don't want to take the vaccine and help out their communities, which is a rabbit hole I'm going to steer clear of. But um, <laughs> from what that sounds, from, from the language that you're giving me, it sounds positive and if not positive, then harmless enough. And that is my reaction. 
Yeah, and so we are aligned with your reaction as well. Um, that's why Progress Texas is saying to vote yes on this. Like you mentioned, the proposal is born out of COVID-related concerns. It lets residents of nursing or assisted living facilities designate an essential caregiver, caregiver um, who could not be denied in-person access to see them. Um, it's basically a measure out of compassion um, after a year, like you mentioned, Brett, where a lot of elderly folks were, were forced into isolation. So we vote, uh, we say yes on that, on number six. Um, so now I will read Proposition 7, we're almost done, the constitutional amendment to allow the surviving spouse of a person who is disabled to receive a limitation on the school district ad valorem taxes on the spouse's residence homestead if the spouse is 55 years of age or older at the time of the person's death. I am under 55. I do not have a spouse. I'm like 90% sure I don't have a homestead. I certainly don't pay taxes on one. IRS don't come after me. Um, <laughs> and I am still living. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure any of this applies to me directly. So I don't think I have any knowledge of it. I, so uh, I don't know fully what that means and would love Diana, if you would give me your recommendation. Yes. So my recommendation, our recommendation for, from progress, Texas is a yes. Um, basically, this proposition extends the, the homestead tax exemption to surviving spouses of disabled folks who have passed away um, as long as the surviving spouse is 55 or older. Um, basically, you know, having to deal with the death in your family is hard enough. Um, and so this is, is a really good change, another act of, of, of compassion. Um, so last, yeah, the last one, uh, Proposition 8. This constitutional amendment authorizing the legislature to provide for an exemption from ad valorem taxation of all or part of the market value of the resident's homestead of the surviving spouse of a member of the armed services of the United States who was killed or fatally injured in the line of duty. Oh my God, yes. Are you kidding me? If, wait, <laughs> if somebody is killed or fatally injured at, in the line of duty, they should add, their family should absolutely receive a tax break. Yes, I, yes, yes. Please yes. tell me we don't say, okay, thank God. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we said yes. Again, another act of compassion um, because currently the, the existing ex exemption is only offered to spouses of military members who die in combat. And so all this exemption does is expands it to benefit families who have lost a loved one in a non-combat situation, such as like training exercises, um, can't believe this doesn't already exist. So glad that this is being proposed. Another act of compassion. And that is the last one. I am so shocked, Diana, at how many times in a row you said act of compassion in like relation to Texas. God, yeah. That is <laughs> not especially, something I'm used to hearing. Especially after these 10 months of the legislative session, right? Which was anything but compassionate. <laughs> Uh, Wesley, so we you know we just kind of went over the um, 
what's on the ballot, what our recommendations are. Do you want to quickly fill people in on, on early vote and mail-in yes. ballots and all that kind of stuff? Yes, for I'm gonna sure. I'm going to drop your so, guide so. in here, too. <laughs> Awesome. So early voting is happening right now and it's going through October 29th. Um, this weekend there is early voting available as well. This is the only weekend for the November election that you can early vote. So if you know that you're not going to be available on a weekday, please get out this Saturday or Sunday when you're free. Um, so polling locations will be open. You can check with your county's election office for locations and times because those might differ depending on your county, but early voting is available this weekend. Um, I would just say that there's no reason to wait until election day to vote. We know that lines tend to be longer on election day. Um, we know that sometimes it's a little bit harder to get out and vote on election day. We have two weeks of early voting before election day. So avoid the lines, avoid the excuses, and please get out and vote early. Um, we also, um, in this guide, you'll see that we have information about what to bring, what kind, what types of ID or photo ID are, uh, um, are allowed um, and you can visit govotetexas.org for more information about all of that. We have it, all that information there. And then also if you are planning to vote by mail, um, which only a select few people are eligible to do here in Texas because of our unfortunately restrictive voting laws, um, so for folks who are able to vote by mail, you can vote by mail if you're 65 or over on election day. If you are a person with disabilities or you're sick at the time of the elections, um, if you're out of your county of residence during early voting and on election day, then you can vote absentee. Or if you're in jail but otherwise eligible to vote, those are all folks who qualify to vote early. Um, just know that the deadline to um, submit your application to vote by mail is this Friday. So that will be tomorrow, October 22nd. If you're listening to this on Friday, um, if you're listening to this on October 22nd, then this is the day, this is the deadline. So please turn in your application. And something really important to note is that this is an election that's happening in an odd numbered year. And unfortunately, traditionally, elections that happen on odd number years have a super low turnout. But as we've gone through these amendments, as we talked about, wow, some of these would be pretty compassionate uh, and, and really important to, to, to change and to have your, your opinion on. And, and besides these constitutional amendments, so these are the amendments that are being proposed statewide. But in everyone's particular city that you're in, you should also know that there are other races that could possibly uh, and very likely be on uh, this ballot as well, including school board, city council, local propositions that if you don't go and vote, this uh, like they could be decided by just a handful of people since there is such a low turnout. So because of that, it makes your vote even much more important. It could matter even five or ten times as much as it would matter on an even numbered year which is so important why you should go and turn out to vote and then get about five maybe even ten of your closest friends to go out and vote as well and last thing i'll say just because i talked a little bit about the dates for early voting and the dates for voting by mail but election day if you don't listen to our advice if you don't vote early and if you wait till election day which i understand sometimes it's more fun to vote on election day election day is november 2nd and polls will be open from 7 a.m to 7 p.m if you get in line if there happens to be a line and you get in line before 7 p.m then you are allowed to vote no matter what um it, they have to wait for you to get through the line even if it's past seven o'clock but you have to make it to the line before 7 p.m um if you have any 
issues at the polls, any problems being able to cast your ballot, then you can call 866-R-VOTE. Um, it's an election protection hotline that has volunteer attorneys who are staffed and working so that they can help any folks who may be having issues casting their ballots. So speaking of voting, you know, obviously this series of legislative sessions weren't great for voting rights here in Texas. Uh, but Wesley, earlier today, you were talking about what's going on in D.C. with voting rights and voting protections. Can you fill us in really quick? Yes. So yesterday, actually, the Senate was set to take a vote on a sweeping voting rights um, bill and it's actually known as the Freedom to Vote Act. If you think back a little bit, you might remember the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which was something that was uh, making its way through Congress a few months ago. Well, that, unfortunately, um, the bill was not able to pass. And so there were some changes made, amendments, etc. The bill is now known as the Freedom to Vote Act, and it still has a lot of really important protections in it. Um, so, for example, it would make it easier to register to vote. It would make Election Day a public holiday. It would ensure that states have early voting for federal elections and allow all voters to request mail-in ballots. So just a second ago, I talked about here in Texas, the folks who are eligible, it would make it to where everyone was eligible to um, vote by mail. Um, it would also help bolster security with our voting systems. It would change how congressional districts are redrawn um, and basically stop partisan gerrymandering, which we saw during this last legislative session. All of the maps that Texas passed are heavily gerrymandered and specifically target communities of color um, to restrict their voice and make it to where they don't have as much representation. So it would prevent that type of gerrymandering and it would impose new disclosures on donations um, to outside groups who are making donations during political campaigns. So just make the process more transparent when it comes to money, dark money specifically in politics. So all of that sounds amazing, right? These are all really great reforms that we need for our elections um, and to help um, support the right to vote, the freedom to vote. Um, but unfortunately, we did not have the support yesterday to pass this crucial voting rights legislation. And so it failed in the Senate. It's already passed through um, the US House, but it failed in the Senate. Um, and that's due to Republican senators who we know have made it their agenda at this point to undermine our elections. Um, and so one thing that we at Progress Texas are continuing to promote is that the filibuster needs to go away. It is preventing crucial progress in the U.S. Congress that we need to happen, not just on election reform. We know that's one of the major issues, but on all kinds of other issues. The filibuster is a... Um, the filibuster, it leads to gridlock. It's also a um, remnant of the Jim Crow era. We know that it's racist and it shouldn't exist. It's not something that's in the Constitution. So there's not really any justification for it other than those in power want it to prevent progress. Um, can I say something just briefly about the uh, Freedom to Vote Act? Because I know that it is very sad that it did uh, fail in the Senate yesterday, but I could be wrong and correct me if I'm making a mistake in this. I did hear from some political pundits that the reason it was brought to the floor was to show that the Democrats actually are united now on yeah. what's in the bill, which is a positive thing because now that the Democrats have agreed on the, restri the restrictions that they want to impose and the items that they want to put new life into in our voting system, 
they're, they can now enter into talks about the filibuster. That's, and I do think mm. that despite that it did fail, it is a positive sign that it even, you know, has reached this far and we can discuss whether we want to do away with the filibuster or change it in regard to voting rights. I mean, I'm all for trashing it entirely. It's a garbage <laughs> rule. But, and, and we know that if we don't do it now, Mitch McConnell's just going to do it the minute he's majority leader. But that being said, even if it's, you know, changed just so that this bill can get through and other voting rights bills will get through, that will be a huge win. And we'll be able to show the power of the people at the ballot box the next time elections roll around. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, Brett, is that this the Freedom to Vote Act was born out of negotiations between Democrats on what they wanted to see in this bill. Joe Manchin specifically um, was key in some of those negotiations and trying getting it to a point that he approved of the legislation. And so for them to bring it forward and still not have the votes to pass it may mean that there are some more Democrats who are willing to get rid of the filibuster or at least make an exception to get this bill passed. I 100% agree. Um, I think Brett, I was hearing the same things yesterday about how this vote was honestly mostly symbolic of showing that the Democrats are united, especially with everything that was in uh, this bill. Gosh, if this was a lot of folks even called it like Joe Manchin's bill because they were like, OK, whatever, you know, you're you're, you're down with, um, you know, let, let's let's start there sort of to show him, you know, the the other side. A lot of Republicans are really. Um, you know, anti-voter and, and don't want to see any sort of, uh, you know, progress happening in terms of like protecting our right to vote. Um, so that gives me a little bit of hope that we could see change on the filibuster. Um, and if that happens, that wouldn't just impact this bill. It would impact so many other things. And we could see a lot more progress nationwide. So keeping my fingers crossed, because that would be really exciting. Well, you know, keeping our fingers crossed has been like the mantra, like this entire year that Terrible things wouldn't happen. Good things would happen. Uh, and the year's not over yet. So maybe we'll see y'all back for more legislative session stuff. But fingers don't crossed, we won't. Put, don't put that into <laughs> the universe. <laughs> I'm taking it out. I'm taking it out. Sorry. My bad. My bad. I forgot where we are. But we are in Texas. So anything can happen. Anyways, Diana, Wesley, Brett, thank you as always for your expertise, your wit, your humor. Uh, to everyone who's watching and listening, thanks for joining us. Head over to www.progresstexas.org to follow us on social media and subscribe to our email list. If you're listening to us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. One more time, this is we're in early vote. You can vote this weekend. Election day is on November 2nd. Get out and vote um, and tell your friends. Bring your friends. Thanks, y'all. Have a good weekend. Bye, y'all. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, with music by Walker Lukens. Please subscribe and share, and thanks so much for listening. See you again next week.